Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Chris Grayton. Today on the program, we're welcoming Professor Palmira Brummett. She is a visiting professor of history at Brown University. Uh, professor Brummett, welcome to the program. Thanks. Fun to be here. We're very excited to have you on. A lot of our listeners are familiar with your previous work, previous monographs, and uh, so we're really happy to talk to you today about your latest book, Hot Off the Press from Cambridge University Press, uh, Mapping the Ottomans, Sovereignty, Territory, and Identity in the Early Modern Mediterranean. Uh, and this book looks at how imaging and mapping uh, the, the territory and polity of the Ottoman Empire uh, was part of various um, intellectual practices and political practices in early modern Europe. So it's a fun way of looking at the relationship of the Ottoman Empire to Europe during this very formative period in, in the history of uh, the modern world. And our listeners will be hopefully not too disappointed because we're going to be talking about maps. We won't have a lot of maps on the page, but we are going to get try to get a couple images up on the page of some examples of the many maps and images you used to write this book. Uh, how many, how many images, uh, how many images and maps did you consult in, in, in this work on mapping the Ottomans? Well, I looked at hundreds of images. Uh, for me, the most interesting part of this project is simply sitting and looking at maps and putting them together with their texts and thinking about the universe of visual possibilities mm -hmm. out there in the 16th and 17th centuries for how Ottoman space was imagined. Mm. And by Ottoman space, I mean not simply blocks of territory, but those territories and the, mm -hmm. the sovereignty and the peoples and the ethnography and the actions that are embedded in that space. Maybe you could give us a sense of the provenance of the, of the maps that you've worked with. These maps are from a whole series of collections. Uh, they were done in what I'm referring to as the Christian kingdoms of mm -hmm. Europe and in the Ottoman Empire mm -hmm. to a lesser degree. And I came across them gradually over a period mm -hmm. of years, uh, looking at hundreds of maps, and had a hard time narrowing down the universe of possibilities for a book. It's always yeah. easier to imagine the universe of your of your uh, knowledge base than it is to get it down into into something manageable. So the the book overlaps with a very important period in the history of cartography, uh, an era that was commonly known as the era of exploration when uh, various uh, cartographers and mappers are learning how to uh, portray the world in new ways. So um, the way in which space is depicted during this period is changing. Uh, at the same time, the way in which the Ottomans are depicted uh, is also changing. Maybe you could give us a sense of, it's difficult, but the, the broad trajectory of these uh, depictions. I mean, the whole question of trajectory is an interesting one because I think we think of mapping as an evolutionary process, mm. whereby mapping becomes more and more scientific as one moves from the 16th century to the 18th century. Yeah. But that's only true up to a point. Certainly the techniques of print and the techniques of measurement mm -hmm. increased uh, and became more sophisticated in that period. But the sense of maps as pictures acts against that. And so if we, if we see mapping as strictly an evolutionary process, we, we ignore the visual universe that is out there mm -hmm. and is not 
transforming step by step when it comes to depicting the Ottomans. Uh, I, I, you mentioned something interesting, looking at maps uh, as as images and how that complicates the uh, notion of the the evolution of cartography, so to speak. Could you elaborate upon that further? What you mean by looking at these early modern maps uh, as images and not just sort of more through a narrow, um, I guess, definition of mapping? This is contested, of course, but um, J.B. Harley in his new nature of maps argued that maps are essentially a visualization of space. And so Ottoman miniatures are a good case in point. If we look at Ottoman Hmm. campaigned volumes, very often the miniatures in those volumes are a tracing of a progression of spaces in which Ottoman action and interactions are mm-hmm. taking place. So I am treating miniatures in this book as maps. Part of that uh, matrix of maps and different types of images. Miniatures are a, a representation of space. Absolutely. Yeah. I see min- I see these miniatures as maps. Matrakja Nasa uh, is a good example. Oh, sure, yeah. And, and the counting of space from Istanbul to Baghdad, the counting of space mm-hmm. by land and by sea, and what happens in it. Hey, welcome back to Ottoman History Podcast. Chris Grayton here talking with Professor Palmyra Brummett about her new book, Mapping the Ottomans, out from Cambridge University Press. Uh, Professor Brummett, I want to ask you, there's all these new depictions of the Ottoman Empire uh, in early modern Europe. Uh, what role are these uh, images serving? And uh, more broadly, what do you see as the, the, some of the roles that uh, the Ottoman Empire as a space or Ottoman society play within the imagined world of early modern Europe? Well, I mean, that's the essential question in some ways. What I really wanted to know is what Ottoman space and the Ottoman Empire looked like in the imaginations mm-hmm. of peoples in the Christian kingdoms of Europe and in the Ottoman self imagination. And I think we as Ottoman historians are so used to thinking of this space in terms of regions and mm-hmm. Sanjaks and Beyliks yeah. that our visualization, our historiographic visualization doesn't necessarily take into consideration this diverse range of pictures. So that one of the things that the book mm-hmm. focuses on is the notion of the fortress as the quintessential measure of owned space and the space where action takes place. Could you elaborate upon that? I mean, Yeah, I mean, the fortress on the map is, is the owned space. Mm-hmm. Fortresses are the nodes by which commerce and communication and networks of exchange, cultural and commercial and political exchange, take place. And so they play a very distinctive role I think, in the depictions of early modern space that we may not tend to think about as we're, as we're teaching our histories and writing our history. Absolutely. I mean, that, that raises an interesting point. I mean, everywhere you go, you travel in the former Ottoman Empire. Every little town has a fortress of some kind. I'm wondering, though, uh, when you say that the, the fortress plays a central role in these depictions, is this because fortresses were um, 
visually salient in European maps of Europe as well. And so this is a sort of a stylistic thing from Europe. Is it because this is how the Ottoman Empire is viewed? Or is this in fact something that's shared across the early modern Mediterranean? I think it's certainly shared across the Mm. early modern Mediterranean. It is salient for European depictions of their own spaces. Um, And the fortress, not just the fortress alone, but the fortress embedded in the fortress city. So Mm -hmm. a fortress city is anything from Vienna and Istanbul to much smaller fortresses that are the focus of campaigns by the Ottomans, Mm -hmm. by the Habsburgs, by the Venetians. So the fortress and the fortress city are important, both in terms of imagining travel from one place to another Mm -hmm. and in terms of imagining military engagement. And that military engagement, of course, symbolizes the possession of space Mm -hmm. or the imagined possession of space as monarchs claim territory Mm -hmm. as their own. Yeah. And so on one hand, you have, you can see the political and military function of maps essentially representing what would be important to military leaders and, uh, you know, various uh, political entities in Europe. But at the same time, you mentioned these uh, fortress cities as nodes. And so this is, this serves a different function. This is for travelers moving from one point to another would see these as, uh, I guess, stopping points uh, along a journey. Yeah, and not just stopping points, but but the places where interactions happen. Mm. So that one standard way of measuring space uh, for both the Ottomans and their their rivals mm-hmm. is, the, is the enumeration of stopping spaces and what happens there. So I've defined Ottoman space in this book in terms of four major kinds of mapped mm-hmm. spaces – Historical space, travel space, war space, and sacred space. Mm. And those are ways uh, or one way of categorizing this set of visualizations. And were you able to read these uh, maps and other images used alongside travel accounts or different writings to see sort of see instrumentalization of these images and see how they're functioning and texts that were produced during the time, for example, accounts of the time? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really interested in the image text interface. And so I was reading these maps, if you will, against what I would, what I call the knowledge picture Mm. of the early modern reader, that universe of texts and knowledge and pictures and visualizations that Mm. a reader of the time has witnessed. And in many cases, maps are detached from their textual mm-hmm. context. And yeah. one sees this map hanging in in non-text space. But mm-hmm. then again, maps are covered with texts. Yeah. So there's a, a, a continuum between the texts on the map, the texts surrounding the map, and then the text that the viewer of the map has been exposed to before that, that act of looking. I think that's one of the places where we can complicate the notion of the evolution of mapping towards a more precise representation because these early modern maps, especially early, early modern maps coming out of medieval period, these maps are, say what you will about this, the cartography, uh, but they're covered in all sorts of images and writings and different um, uh, other pieces of information that are supposed to be part of this um, uh, spatial representation, you know, people and, and creatures and all sorts of things. I mean, how, how do you see uh, these other elements being used in these representations of space? 
Well, one of the things I mean by historical space is that Ottoman space is viewed in terms of layers mm. of time. And a lot of these early modern maps collapse both space and time in order to respond to the to the viewer's knowledge picture, uh-huh. the viewer's image of classical space mm-hmm. or biblical space, right. in order to allow the viewer to imagine travel yeah. in a more or less straight line, for example. Okay. It's not because the creators of the maps aren't aware of the territories, how they're arranged, and their scientific measurement, it's because there are different kinds of messages mm-hmm. that are being conveyed yeah. by these maps. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and, and that's one way in which we can see how maps are interacting with travel narratives, which also have that sort of collapsing of time. Uh, people passing through places, you know, recalling an anecdote from the Hellenic period, and then mentioning something from the Crusades, and then talking about the present day, all in one paragraph, it, it also conveys that sense. And do you want to recognize Ottoman sovereignty or not? So the map of the late 16th or the middle 17th century may or may not acknowledge Ottoman sovereignty on the body of the map. It may acknowledge it only in the legend or the cartouche. But we do see, I don't mean to argue that maps are not evolving at mm-hmm. all. What we see in these maps, as we see in the travel and other narratives, is an increased level of familiarity uh-huh. with the Ottomans, okay. a burgeoning pile of literature that the educated reader uh-huh. has been exposed to yeah. that complicate the picture of the Ottomans. Mm. Well, you raise an interesting point there. So on the question of sovereignty, for example, you know, the, uh, there's a period where the Ottomans are expanding into Europe. In what way is this reflected on the, the early modern maps? Uh, you said there's there's sometimes a lack of acknowledgement. Where is the imagined border of the Ottoman Empire versus the real border in some of these maps? Is there a, a difference there? The question of, of imagined borders is critical here. And one way this dilemma is solved is by using the designation Turkey in Europe and Turkey in Asia. Hmm. But we see as we look at the maps that probably the most visible boundary, at least the most visible land-based boundary, tends to be the Danube. Mm. And then the sense of whose space on each side of the, of the Danube is, is, is sovereign space. But we find that the borders in the, in the visual imagination of early modern Europe are, are highly variable. And again, this counting of fortresses that's reflected in the narratives and reflected in the maps mm-hmm. is a key way of trying to make an argument, make a visual argument mm-hmm. about whose space is whose. So do you put a cross on top of the fortress or do you put mm. a crescent? And that certainly changes over oh, time, of course. How does this match up with the contemporary images that are being produced in the Ottoman Empire? I mean, is, is there a dialogue there? Because presumably map makers in the Ottoman Empire may have had access to certain maps. They have them in their libraries and whatnot, so... Oh, I think the circulation of maps was very widespread, and I think the Ottomans had access to uh, many of these maps. And there's certainly a dialogue, because the Ottomans also are visualizing in their celebratory texts, their illustrated volumes, territory that they don't necessarily control or don't necessarily Mm -hmm. possess, but that is claimed by the Sultan. We see this in Matrakcha Nasr and the notion that Iraq 
is the logical possession of the Ottoman sovereign. Interesting. So, uh, so there is certainly a dialogue, and we know much more about the about the circulation of of European maps. But then again, the Ottomans are a European empire. Mm-hmm. So for this entire period, the Ottomans are controlling the Ottoman heartlands are in Europe. So again, this detachment of the Ottomans from Europe doesn't work very well when we think of the Ottomans as simply an Asian empire. They're an Asian and a European empire. Mm-hmm. And the the audiences in Europe have to deal with that, and that dealing is reflected in the maps. All right, welcome back to Ottoman History Podcast. We're talking with Professor Palmyra Brummett about her new book, Mapping the Ottomans. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that, you know, for those who are enthusiastic about early modern maps and whatnot, we've had a previous episode with Karen Pinto on Islamic cartography in the medieval and early modern period. Uh, and I want to really encourage you to look forward to a future podcast with uh, Aisha Ramachandran about her new work on world making in early modern European literature, which is going to be a very exciting discussion. This is a, is a very interesting uh, n- new book. Uh, Professor Brummett, we were just discussing uh, the issue that European map makers had to find some way to reconcile the fact that the Ottoman Empire is very much a European empire uh, for much of this period, possessing lots of Europe, what we call Europe, sort of ruling over Christian populations that might be imagined as inherently not part of this uh, Muslim other space. I wanted to ask more about the role that the image of the Ottomans is playing in, quote-unquote, Europe's self-definition in the abstract. Of course, we know about uh, early modern, what we would call Orientalist depictions uh, of the Turk and whatnot, um, and the role that played in the, in the making of a, of, a, of a new conception of a European geography. But maybe you could talk about how uh, mapping played a role in this process. Yeah, it's interesting if you look at a series of European maps over time and see how variable the borders of Europe actually are. Mm -hmm. Certainly we have the notions of the Ptolemaic system and the continental boundaries. There is also the sense of the water-based boundary that takes place through the straits with Mm -hmm. Asia on one side, Europe on the other side, and Constantinople in the middle. But once the Ottomans have conquered and kept much of the Greco-Balkan Peninsula for a long time, the authors and the map makers of Europe have the dilemma of rearticulating that space. And one way they do it in terms of maps, mm-hmm. mapped space is, as I suggested, to talk about Turkey in Europe and Turkey in Asia. But the other alternative is to define this space as essentially Christian space that is going to be redeemed, that is only in Ottoman hands temporarily, even Mm -hmm. if the temporary extends to a century or two centuries or more. Another way to look at the boundaries is to treat Cyprus and the Holy Land as annexes of Europe, even though they are spatially detached because Cyprus is the stepping stone to the Holy Land, Mm -hmm. and then the Holy Land is envisioned in many ways, certainly not entirely, 
as quintessential Christian and hence quintessential European space, part yeah. of the European empires. The alternative to that is to think of trans-imperial space, where you have empires competing for territory yeah. and in ways that are very similar. I, I mean, that raises an interesting point. This is the age of the rise of... Uh you know, early modern imperialism in Europe, where they're laying territorial claims to places all throughout the world. No European empire is really able to, you know, establish an imperial presence in the Ottoman Empire. But this, I mean, this this period of uh, imagined geographical expansion of the, of European polities borders during this time uh, contrasts with the the uh, the presence of the the like powerful Ottoman Empire right on, uh, on, on the doorstep. One of the ways you see this reflected is in atlases and compendia of knowledge, where increasingly in the 17th and then in the 18th century, you get the visualization in maps, in cartouches, in illustrations, in atlases of expansive imperial power of certain European states. And so in this book, I have used the 1540s as a starting point, mm -hmm. the real conceptualization in Venice of the Ptolemaic system of measuring and, mm -hmm. and looking at space, and then really the 1780s as a final period, because I see that period as a period in which the vis visualization of imperial interaction and mm -hmm. of the Ottomans has changed rather dramatically by mm -hmm. that point. But I still think that there are many comparisons between 16th century mapping and 18th century mm. mapping that we may think uh, are radically different, but are not so radically different. What, what you said you you said that the late late 18th century is the end, sort of, of the periodization of your study. What is the the key change that you identify there? I mean, what is what has happened? I think that the mapping of the great trans-European and Asian imperial struggle, mm -hmm. which includes the Ottomans, has altered the visualization of these spaces and mm -hmm. how they interact. The visualization is not so focused, and the nature of warfare has changed in rather significant ways. For example? Well, the differential use of field cannon and the sense of uh, a Europe-wide, European and Asian-wide warfare, mm -hmm. not encompassing all of Asia, but the the mapped sense that the magnitude of the imperial struggles is greater. Mm. It doesn't mean that we can't think about European and Asian-wide warfare in the 16th century. It's that it's visualization and articulation mm. in these compendia of knowledge and atlases seems mm. to me to be different. Mm. For example, the map that I used really as marking an end period is a map that's produced in Vienna in 1788 by Mayer, and it's the general map of the limits of the three empires. And we see that the marking of space here tends to have very little to do with the ethnography or the religious identities of Islamdom and Christendom mm -hmm. in 1788. And the sense of the inevitable expansion of the frontiers of certain of the European empires seems to be more dramatically suggested. This is one very large map and a whole series of appended maps 
of the borders of empire. This episode is part of a podcast series titled The Visual Past, which explores art, architecture, and other visual sources for Ottoman history. Make sure to check out the blog post on ottomanhistorypodcast.com to view the images and other materials associated with this episode, as well as find other episodes in the series. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome back. Chris Grayton here talking with Professor Palmira Brahmet about her new book, Mapping the Ottomans. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that you can visit our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com, to get an easy link of how to access uh, that book through the Cambridge University Press uh, webpage. There's a lot of great images in this book, um, many of which are, are not public domain images, but, but in fact, images that required quite a bit of uh, research in various collections uh, in Europe, the United States, also uh, from Topkapa Palace in Istanbul. So, uh, Professor Brummett, I wanted to ask you, for our listeners who are interested in, in, in checking out the book, what are some of the uh, special images that they can look forward uh, to learning about uh, and, and sort of reading together with you uh, in mapping the Ottomans? Well, I think one of the interesting things about this universe of maps is its enormous variation. Those which are very sophisticated and have elaborate cartouches indicating the imperial car- competitions, the religious competitions, the ethno- ethnographic imagination of the Ottoman world, to those which are pretty simple, delineating, for example, the stages of travel in Isolari island books, showing Mm -hmm. how one moves from Venice to the Ottoman Empire, to Constantinople, or to the coast and then onward to the Holy Land. Uh, I also think that the inclusion of Ottoman mapping with this universe of maps from the Christian kingdoms of Europe tends to de-exotify the Ottoman maps, Mm -hmm. and not put them in a special category all by themselves. I think these maps are part of an enormous circulation of imagery and text and knowledge and information and culture that's going on at this time. So, you know, we have very, we have relatively little access to early modern Ottoman maps on the internet because only a few of them have been published you know, sort of in the public domain for people to look at. And the ones that I'm familiar with seeing are, for example, I believe it's Katib Chelebi's collection of maps, which the the maps that people have uh, gravitated towards are the ones that are, in fact, most precise and in terms of, like, the geographical measurements, right? The ones that prove that the Ottoman Empire had good mapping technology, just like Europe in its age of exploration. But are there other kinds of maps uh, from the Ottoman lands that maybe are are less in that vein, but will also be uh, interesting for our listeners that you've employed in this book? Well, I think our work on Ottoman maps has has dramatically improved in the last years. Uh, Tom Goodrich, clearly a pioneer in that regard. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned uh, Karen Pinto and mm-hmm. Emirali Olu and Hagen all working on maps. So one of the things we need is the exposure of a greater universe of Ottoman maps. Yeah. It's not as big a universe as we would like to have. Um, Evlia said that there were, I think it's 15 or 17 map ateliers in Istanbul in the 17th century. Mm-hmm. And we would like to know a lot more about those places, but we don't. And so first, the assembly of the possibilities, the making available of the possibilities. There is a collection that was published uh, by the uh, 
Turkish Naval Museum. Okay. Uh, and their collection is full mostly of European-produced maps, but also some Ottoman maps. And that might give us an idea of some of the maps that were circulating mm-hmm. in the early modern period and then in the later period as well. So uh, there's still much exploration to be done mm-hmm. there, I think. You mentioned that you used some uh, miniatures, maybe maybe depictions that are not maps in the usual sense, but are nonetheless depictions of geographical space, as you said. Uh, could you maybe give an example of uh, one of the ways in which you've used one of these uh, miniatures as a visual source for understanding history of conceptions of geography? Sure. A map, for example, from Talikizade, which shows uh, the Ottoman army marching in undesignated space, is, I think, an interesting equivalent to campaign maps generated by Venetian agents who were witnessing the conflicts over Venetian mm-hmm. and Ottoman space at the time and sending back depictions of the struggle for space. Uh In some of the cases, like the miniatures, you need the textual context to tell you where this is. But certainly in some of the Venetian maps as well, there is not a specific designation Mm -hmm. of of the exact space that this is happening, happening in. Rather, it's a sense of the order and organization and power of the Mm -hmm. Ottoman military marching through the land and territory. You know, I've had this impression, uh, when looking through some of the published collections of, of, of miniatures uh, of some of these uh, works, you know, for example, Suleiman Name and other uh, books about the exploits of like Ottoman sultans and whatnot that were commissioned. Uh, and you do see like the, the representations of space in, in these works. Uh, they're not like photographs as we would think of them, but they're 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 composed in in a very deliberate way that I I don't have privy to. I don't know why things are laid out the way they are, but um, again, alongside the text, sometimes you can understand that vision a little bit. Well, and I'm not an art historian, but sir, but I'm interested in the question of submission, and it seems to me hmm. that the maps produced in the Christian kingdoms of campaigns of warfare of these fortresses are very much like the Ottoman mappings in the sense that one of the things you want to convey is the submission of people and territories. So the Ottoman miniatures are depicting Ottoman sovereignty with the sultan Uh or the viziers in contested space, and they're depicting their fallen enemies. And this is exactly what we see either on the body of the map or Mm -hmm. in the cartouches of maps emerging out of Mm. Europe. They are showing the fallen Turk as a symbol, as an emblem of their own sovereignties Mm. and of the the hoped-for future of these spaces. But so when we see these types of elements that are uh, more imaginative or aspirational even, what what is the audience? What is the what is the function of of these maps? Who's who's viewing them and who's supposed to Is this a message to the Ottomans? Is this a message to uh, a populace that might have access to this map? Or who is um, supposed to consume uh, this image of uh, submission, for example? That's that's the key question. And again, in the Ottoman context, we have this, this issue of who is viewing the illustrated campaign narratives. And we see with the work of people like Emine Fetvaja mm-hmm. that 
we get a better and better picture of of who the consumers are. But what we know, we, what we don't know about audience is still vast. Whether we're talking about European context or the Ottoman Empire, we have again more in the context of places like Venice, where we see mention of the posting of map imagery and text in places where the public can consume it, where mm. we see the circulation of broadsheets uh, that are maps depicting Ottoman-Venetian conflicts. But individual studies of reader consumption are very limited. What we, ha- what we tend to have more is anecdotal information where maps are mentioned and how they're being looked at is mentioned. Do you have a good example? Well, the notion of uh, we have certain Venetian reports that show the Amin of the Ottomans in the coastal areas of the Adriatic meeting mm-hmm. with an agent of the Signoria, and uh, and the anecdote tells us that that each party brought their own maps, and they're using <laughs> that party. and they're using that map, <laughs> yeah. those maps to articulate whose space is whose, uh, along with physical markers mm-hmm. along with things like the testimony of old people in order to sort out treaty negotiations. So we see references to these maps being used, but we often don't see the maps themselves. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, Professor Brumman, I, I really appreciate you giving us a sneak preview of uh, this this new work uh, that uses uh, visual sources uh in order to understand how uh, early modern Europeans and with the Ottoman Empire included were visualizing uh, uh, space during the period. I know, uh, you know, for me, your earlier work on on the Ottoman press that had utilized um, some political cartoons and these types of things, caricatures from newspapers in the Ottoman Empire, some of those caricatures you had selected could say so much about, you know, ideas about... um, modernity and uh, uh, gender and, you know, even the future of the Ottoman Empire at that time. Uh, I really enjoy the way you employ these visual sources in your work for analysis. And, uh, uh, you know, I hope our listeners uh, have enjoyed the conversation and we'll look forward to checking out your book. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. And again, that to me is the most interesting thing, how the pictorial and narrative visualizations made people see and think about the Ottomans. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, I'll remind you that on on OttomanHistoryPodcast.com we have a bibliography where you'll find some useful background reading as well as a link to Mapping the Ottomans from Cambridge University Press. That's a place to leave your comments and questions, check out our other episodes, and get in touch with the other some 20,000 followers on Facebook who are uh, commenting on the latest uh, episodes and content from our webpage. That's all for this episode of Ottoman History Podcast. I want to invite you all to tune in next time, and until then, take care.